0: Hello, Girlboss Radio listeners. We've got another great guest coming up today. Powerhouse literary agent and my agent, Andy McNichol, will join us to talk about female mentorship and how to effectively pitch and sell anything. But first, let's talk about true religion and their
1: genes. Nice. Very true. True, true. Speaking of true religion, they have that true fit. It just means that, you know, your size carries over to every different style. So that skinny jean, that high-waisted jean, that boyfriend cut, they're all going to fit the same. So you don't have to worry about a 28 feeling wonky in the different um, varieties. There's nothing like trying on your size
0: and it being too small. It's like the most depressing feeling. And it makes me like, I really don't know if my butt got bigger or what.
1: I know. Or I always say it's the material. I'm like, oh, they changed their sizing. But it was probably me. Yeah. (laughs) Are you wearing your True Religions? Yeah, actually, these are them.
0: And you're comfortable sitting. Love it. And they fit. I could sit all day. Are you ready to get the perfect fitting, most comfortable, and most flattering pair of jeans ever? Then, well, it's your lucky day. Right now, True Religion is giving Girlboss Radio listeners 20% off your entire purchase when you go to TrueReligion.com slash Girlboss and enter my code Girlboss at checkout. So go to truereligion.com slash girlboss and enter code girlboss at checkout for 20% off your entire order. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long, we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition. With the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus, but it's time to make space for a few other definitions: for side hustles and well-being, and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Russo, the founder and CEO of Girl Boss Media, and this is Girl Boss Radio. Andy McNichol is one of just a few partners in a huge company, William Morris Endeavor, the largest literary agency in the country and one of the largest talent agencies out there. Andy has been a literary agent at WME for 18 years.
2: Your agent, like, that's lonely. That is a lonely time. You're like, hey, the phone's not ringing. Like, what's up? Where am I going to find a client? But then... All you need to do is find one person you truly believe in because then they have a community of people. That becomes exciting. And then it sort of grows within itself. Certainly, I wasn't like in the beginning, you're not selling projects all the time that you're like, and this is my life's work. I mean, you've got to learn how to do your job.
0: She has been behind multiple New York Times best-selling authors representing a wide variety of clients such as Chrissy Teigen, Carly Kloss, Tori Birch, Alicia Silverstone and me. Me and Girl Boss. So she's the reason Girl Boss exists today. She's the reason that book was published. She's also my literary agent and was instrumental in crafting my book deal for Girl Boss. She's also the reason this podcast exists.
2: Watching what happened around Girl Boss has been one of the great joys of my professional life.
0: Andy has a unique ability to cut through the truth of who an author really is. She knows if you have a book in you, as she says, and empowers authors to effectively tell their story.
2: I think the most important thing you can have is a point of view, a deep one. Not mine, not Sophia's, not anyone else's, but like something that you really have as a point of view, because that's the one thing that no one can give you. She's also a huge
0: proponent of mentorship. Today, Andy joins us to share the perils of perfectionism and how to embrace mistakes, how to figure out what your story is and how to best tell it, and the way to find and later become a mentor. But first, I'm going to throw this to Maggie Renshaw of Girlboss to talk about what's going on here at the Girl Boss offices.
1: How's it going, Maggie? Oh, hey. So what's going on at girlboss.com? Yes, we're introducing a little segment called Scrimp City. It's not about shrimp. It's about being scrimpy. Scrimp. Scrimping. Scrimpy. Saving. Yeah, exactly. We're diving into personal savings, trials, tribulations, how women spend money, make money, and what are they saving for. So it's women around the world. The first girl is from Alberta, Canada. She works in... Pipeline Operations and Logistics. Ooh. I know, deals with that oil. And so we talk about how she saves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how she saves. It's literally a diary of her week, which is really cool. She Her tips for saving, so she maps out her finances with Excel, meal preps on Sundays, eats at home. Um, on Saturdays is her splurge day. What she does to um, save on spa days. So she does it at home. Cool. Really cool. Yeah, eating at home saves so
0: much money. I like bought swordfish the other day and barbecued it and it's like that would be so expensive at a restaurant or even if we just had like mediocre sushi it would have cost more.
1: She makes 4200 a month. She's saving for her first house and she wants to buy it this year. Wow. And she also mentioned she wants to um Retire by 40.
0: <laughs> I think she makes more money than me. I, want to say, I was like, <laughs> live life crisis. Nice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but actually, instead of retiring, she's like, I'd actually love to start my own plus size clothing company. Oh, that's So, so it's cool. like she takes the retirement, but then.
0: Maybe we creates. can document how she does her career transition when she chooses to do that and how she
1: buys her house when she does that. That's it. But I think it's really interesting to see how people save on various budgets and lifestyles.
0: It's kind of a mystery. It's Mm -hmm. just like, what do you do? Open a savings account and like transfer money into it when you feel like? It's like nobody
1: really tells you. Right. It just disappears at the end of the month. And then you realize, oh, wait, where did it go? Mm -hmm. I spent it. It's all on tampons. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that's Scrimp City.
0: Yeah. And you can find that on Mm girlboss.com where we're creating a lot of content now. Really and we good have stuff. with some exciting changes on com that you'll see in a few weeks, we are evolving. But now, get ready to hear a great story. An interview with literary agent extraordinaire, Andy McNichol. You grew up in New York, right?
2: I grew up in New York City. I was born at NYU. And I think it's a huge part of my personality, without question. So born and raised and then lived in the Bronx for the first 13 years of my life, which also I think is hugely formative to have grown up in that neighborhood.
0: You went to college in New York?
2: No, I I went right across the bridge, really very, very far. I went to Yale. And in fact, the reason why I went to New Haven was because it was a really great school and close to the city. I had what I think a lot of New York City kids have, which is the sense of um, that everything else is sort of less loud or less amazing. I was one of those city kids who could never imagine anywhere else holding a candle. So I wanted to be close. I wanted the city to still be New York when you said the city, which of course I realized like annoyed everyone else from everywhere else. Cause I was like, Oh, you're going to the city. And they're like, Manhattan. I was like, well, do you know another? And they were like, "Uh, yeah, there's plenty of cities in the world. And I was like, "Mm, not really. So um, I did not go far for school, although I was super homesick. You have an interesting
0: family background. So you are Jewish and Puerto Rican. Is that it?
2: Yeah, I am. I was raised by my grandmother and my mom before she got married. My parents were never married. Um, In fact, I'm the product of an affair that my dad had with my mom. She worked for him at the time and, uh, she got pregnant and she decided to keep the baby, which I'm thrilled about. Yeah. So we moved in with my grandmother in the Bronx. My mom was a single mom, um, you know, was a very sort of strange time that you didn't see a lot of that in the community where my grandmother lived. And I was so lucky in so many ways to be, uh, born into this tribe of super fierce, super fun, loud, considerate, passionate women. So I had this incredibly uh, vibrant childhood. I had no idea uh, what I was missing by sort of not having a traditional family. It, it it didn't even occur to me till like, I want to say high school.
0: You had a stepdad who was very near and dear to you. When did he enter the picture?
2: So they started dating when I was seven-ish, and my mom was very conscious about that. I met him around that time, and they dated for a very long time. They got married when I was 13, but they really were together, I think, seriously, since I was seven, and uh, he changed my entire life. In fact, he adopted me. That's why my last name is McNichol, and um, Don McNichol, he was... Uh, a great, great example of a man that really was emotional and could accept the woman in his life exactly as she was. And it was it was wonderful to have this, like, female-forward sort of formative years and then really see what a great partnership could look like when both people were adults and um, accepting of who the other person was, really. He adored my mother. He adored my grandmother. He, in his wonderful Scottish background, became obsessed with like Puerto Rican food. He was um, he was a hoot.
0: So back to college. What did you study in college?
2: I studied art history, which was you know amazing and turned all the lights on in my head. Just because I'd never really taken an art history class, I went to a very traditional high school history and math and English and very traditional. And I never encountered sort of interdisciplinary ways of seeing things like, oh my God, you could look at this painting and see what was going on in history and what was going on um, artistically and what was going on with politically at the time, sort of looking through art. So I remember taking my first art history class with a woman by the name of Romy Golan, who I still think teaches at Yale, who um, had this like insane German accent and was just so attractive and sexy and brilliant and just talked about art in this way that sort of really inspired me. So I went off and uh, studied art history, probably, I think probably solely because of Romy Golan. I just was sort of starstruck by her and uh, it became this wonderful um you know education for me not particularly useful um i tried to intern at like a couple of galleries and i was like super confused that all of these high-minded ideals i had about art and about its origins and what it could do to shape culture that you then had to sell the work because it's a gallery so i was like oh yeah no this is not for me
0: (laughs) so wait you had an aversion to selling things that doesn't sound like you.
2: It's funny. I had an aversion to selling art, <laughs> like actual canvases. I didn't understand. And it, I was younger at the time, but I just I thought that how could how could something be like universally like, oh, this is worth one hundred thousand dollars and then this is worth, you know, 20. It was more a sense of I think I didn't understand how the art fine art was valued.
0: And your first job was in publishing is that right
2: yep my first job uh out of school was at vogue and i feel like the devil wears prada is like my personal autobiography still um i was the only person who saw that movie and was like you you see my my life um no i uh i got a job there i went for like an informational interview and they had a job available and I needed a job, and I loved fashion, and I loved photography, and I loved coming from, you know, New York and art history. It made a lot of sense. And I got there, and I was, like, overwhelmed by it. Um, I think it's an amazing place. It was not an amazing place for me, and that was one of those lessons that sticks out. Like, I was so happy to have a job, and I loved the way it sounded like oh I work at Vogue but then I was like yeah I don't this is not for me
0: and so I mean you started in publishing so it's kind of not a far leap from where you are today but the book industry is really different from fashion publications how did that get you to where you are today tell me like what happened between then and now
2: what happened um so I was at Vogue and miserable at it, like failing them. They were like, why aren't you a better assistant? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, I should be. Um, So I quit, which my parents were like, that's a ballsy move because I didn't know what I was going to do next or anything. And I took the summer off. I had like a summer vacation uh, because I was still only about two years out of college. And I sort of was looking for other jobs. I thought maybe I'd go to law school. Maybe I'd become an architect. I was literally lost, actually. I had a lot of interest, but not a lot of sense of how does one take their interest and make a career or get a job and didn't understand the difference between a job and a career at that point. So I met with my uncle's uh, boyfriend, his ex-boyfriend, who was a very close family friend of ours, who had been in um human resources and he asked me to do this exercise which i actually ask people to do when they're feeling sort of like what's my next move which is write down five to ten things regardless of education regardless of money regardless of opportunities that you would want to be a part of like something that would make you excited or passionate and i was like and i literally i think on that list was like architecture entertainment Um, It was a wide list of things. It was like not anything, you know, connected. And we began to look at them and he was like, oh, entertainment. Like I used to be a dancer. I used to be represented at William Morris. Like, why don't you kind of go there for an informational interview? And I was like, okay. So he set that up and I went and I met at the time the head of human resources there. And it was a great interview. And I began to work as a temp at William Morris which was great because at that point my parents were like, you got to get out. Like, you can't keep living with us without a job. That's not going to work. So I took this job not really knowing where it would lead. And I have been there 18 years.
0: And what was your first break as an agent?
2: I got pushed into the books department, not because that I thought I wanted to be in books, but because it was a New York-based industry. And again, New york playing this huge role in my life. I didn't want to move to Los Angeles, and everyone was really clear that if you were going to be in film um, or TV, you at some point would have to go live in L.A. So I was, like, looking around as to other departments, and uh, the same HR woman was like, you have to meet with this woman, Joni Evans. You have to meet with her. And I was like, I don't know, like, books? Mm. And I met with Joni, and within five minutes of meeting her, I was like, you're going to change my life. Began working with her... And then had another sort of like lightning bolt moment when I was able to meet and work with Jennifer Rudolph Walsh, who you know as well. She's been on the podcast. I know she has. So I got so incredibly blessed by these two women and learning from them that by the time I became my own little entity and agent, I I felt really like, jazzed about what I was doing and like super excited. And it was at a very strange time because it was also the rise of the Food Network. So, this is about, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years ago. And they needed people in our department to sort of look at this underserved sector, which had been cookbooks, because cookbooks weren't this huge uh, money maker. So, I was a really young agent, very little experience, but we needed somebody who could figure out how to do cookbooks. And it wound up being one of those things that was like a total fluke that became a, a pretty big industry, not only just for us, but just in general.
0: And But you were an assistant for how long before you became an agent?
2: So probably much longer than anyone wants to hear, but about uh, a little under three years.
0: Okay. That's not that bad.
2: Answering somebody's phones, helping them do their job, is wonderful and when you're doing it for women like Joni or Jennifer, you're seeing how it works when it works, when everything works and it's great and everyone takes your call and everyone wants what you're selling. You're a first year agent, like that's lonely. That is a lonely time you're like, hey, the phone's not ringing. Like what's up? Where am I gonna find a client? Who am I gonna be with
0: Um, i'm an agent to no one
2: (laughs) exactly that's on my on my plaque like hello i'm an agent with no clients you know and you have that sort of moment but then you've got to learn how to do your job
0: what's a normal day in the life of an agent or a literary agent are you meeting with people are you making phone calls like what do your days look like
2: You know, I think the great thing about being an agent is it's a little bit like having your own sort of startup all the time because it truly is um, really client focused. So some weeks, you know, some people, no week or no day would look exactly the same because it really is generated to some degree by the interest and sort of trajectory of your clients. And uh, there is a lot of outgoing phone calls, a lot of, you know, correspondence, but it's also... in you know this because we work together. It's a lot of like, you know, iterations on an idea and sort of, yeah, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? I'm also super, super blessed to work almost primarily in nonfiction at this point in my life. And I have been able to go on the journeys uh, that the clients have wanted to go on. So it brings you into licensing. It brings you into non-scripted TV. It brings you into endorsement. So I get to visit a lot of different silos and columns because we spend so much time thinking about what is the right narrative for each client. I actually think that's the core part of my day is really thinking about what does this person want to put into into the world? How are they going to do it? And how are we going to do it in like narrative form that people want to buy and that they want to connect to because it's as hard to work on something that like sells a ton of copies as it is to work on something that doesn't sell so you like you know you want to like be like what is what does the reading public want to hear like what do people want to learn how do they want to meet their audience and I talk a lot about that with my clients we email a lot about it sometimes we text a lot about it a lot of phone calls though that is true
0: (laughs) And a big part of your job is staying up on culture, like knowing where things are going. There was no book like Girl Boss before Girl Boss came out. You know, and there's other examples of this I'm sure you've had in your career. How do you stay close to culture so that you can, you know, you can choose the right things to, you know, do deals with?,
2: I, it's so funny. So the woman who um, whose last name I literally always murder, but she was the President of Bravo. Um, and we absolutely have her to thank for like the joy that is Andy Cohen. Um, and I like love Bravo. She was this Princeton graduate and she also had this like incredibly, like she loved reality television. She's like, okay, so I can't be the only human being who loves like reality TV and has like multiple degrees from like a fancy school. She's like, I'm going to just program for myself. So I tend to like want to be interested in things that like I genuinely have, um, a beginning interest in already. So I've always been interested in, you know, young women and women's issues and fashion and health and wellness and spirituality and personal care and wellness. So I tend to go deep into those areas because they're areas that I'm interested in as a person. And I think you can't feign that kind of passion and enthusiasm for like just a deep personal interest. So I think it starts there And then what are the voices that move me or, you know, um, younger people in my office now? Like, that's been a trip because I've always been the younger person in my office. And, like, that shift has occurred after 40. I am not even close to the youngest person in my office. So, like, sort of knowing um, whose taste gels with my own and what they're interested in and how. And I can also at this point, like differentiate between like, oh, this is like a really cool thing that's coming out into the universe or something that I should be involved in. I have to be really interested in something to do a good job on it.
0: I asked Andy why she greenlit Girl Boss in the first place. I wasn't an author. I was a college dropout at the time. I wasn't really writing much. I was copywriting for emails talking about new arrivals every week. But I was so curious. Why did she take a chance on me?
2: I remember when I first met you. You had probably one of the greatest answers, and I've told you this, to why do you want to write a book that I'd heard? And so many people start that conversation, well, oh, I should write a book. I've been told I should write a book. I should do this. Anytime anyone uses the word should, I'm like, not for me. Just because that's not, you know, that's not saying I want to do this. That's saying like, oh, maybe. And you really said, you're like... It was the time of Lean In, and it was the time of the beginning of this conversation about women and empowerment and the workforce. And they were speaking to a specific type of woman. I don't think people were speaking to the girl boss audience at that point. And Girl Boss, the book, didn't even exist at that point. And you said to me, because I want people to like, you know, be inspired, and there are more of me out there than there are of, like, this very specific type of person who's gone to all the right schools and done all the, you know, sort of supposedly right things. And I was like, that's that's a community. That's an answer. And I didn't know what we were going to go off and create, but I knew it was, we were going to go off and do something.
0: Who knew that four years later, I'd be running a company called Girl
2: Boss? I mean, I would love to say I did, but <laughs> I would love to say
0: that. That was probably, that was at least five years ago now, and we've been working together that long Andy's responsible for making this podcast initially happen for the other two books that I've published since then uh, for the Netflix series that we put together I mean WME has been really pivotal in my career and yeah I would say that there's almost there's no one maybe next to Gary Stiffelman who introduced me to you that has been more influential in my career and and I wouldn't have a second act if it weren't for for you saying yes to this crazy idea to write a book called Girl Boss. So thanks, Andy.
2: Oh, well, now I'm just blushing, but you can't see me. Uh, (laughs) uh, But it's also, you know, again, in that sort of like community of people, I think what I've, beyond just watching this amazing thing occur, which has been so fun and foundational for so many, is also the other women that I've met through you and in the community of women who you speak to um, whether they be entrepreneurs as well, and your contemporaries or your listeners or readers, that's been, I think, the greatest part of watching all this happen. And also, you knew that title always.
0: Mm-hmm. It, like, it was the only title ever.
2: Yeah, you like you were like, oh, this is the title of the book, and it has to have a hashtag. And at the time, everyone was like, huh? You're like, no, this is going to work. And it's so funny because I remember when we were out there selling it, a particular publisher said, oh, I mean, I don't know if that girl is going to want to read a business book. Um, I don't know if that customer reads business books. It was so
0: insulting. It was
2: so insulting. By the way, I tell that story only because it's the most insulting for a book person to say about a whole group of people. Millennial
0: women here. They're not yeah. gonna
2: read. Yeah. yeah. Is yeah. insulting is like... to say the least, but it also goes to show what a different world we live in um five years, fast forward five years. And certainly we were not, you know, titling books with hashtags at this point. And you were like, no, that means that everyone will be able to search for it. It was almost like you were doing like remedial influencing skills. Super remedial, but it worked. <laughs> no, but even to like the publishing community who like needed a little bit of like You know, hashtag help. So it's been funny. We've seen a lot since then. um, And people have figured it out. And also people have figured out that this is, you know, as with everything, like, you know, there was an underserved community of young women who wanted something more than relationship advice, where they wanted relationship advice and like, how do I start a business? How do I raise money? How do I cook chicken? Like you could, they wanted to learn. And I think that was exciting to watch.
0: Should I write a book on how to cook chicken? Is that
2: what you're gonna say? Yeah, I think that should be the next one. We could do an entire book Girl Boss Chicken.
0: We have so much more with Andy McNichol coming up. But first, let's talk about ShipStation. Oh, man. We love ShipStation. ShipStation. We've gotten really good at talking about ShipStation. <laughs> I think so. If you don't know what ShipStation is, which if you've listened to any episodes of Girl Boss Radio, I'm sure you do, uh, ShipStation is a service that integrates with all the popular selling channels, Etsy, Squarespace, Shopify, And lets you really easily print labels and ship your orders. They work with FedEx, USPS, UPS, and they'll find the best price for you with each of those shipping carriers. And you can use it on your phone. So anywhere that you go, you can keep track of your orders and right now girl boss radio listeners can try ship station free for 30 days and get an additional month free only if you use my promo code girl boss go to shipstation.com and before you do anything else click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in girl boss that's shipstation.com s-h-i-p-s-t-a-t-i-o-n.com enter girl boss ship station make, make ship happen, happen. We're going to continue with Andy in just a minute, but before we do, I also want to talk a bit about our friends at Skillshare. I love Skillshare. Mm. I mean, I love learning. That's Mm -hmm. why I do this podcast. I get to interview the most interesting women who've had the most interesting careers, who've made the most interesting mistakes. Mm -hmm. And Skillshare is an online learning platform where you can get 18,000 of those kinds of learnings in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, technology, and more. You can take a class in productivity or social media strategy. And they do have classes in just about everything. And once you sign up, you get unlimited access so you can take as many classes as you want as many times as you want. And you guys are going to like not believe this this introductory price they're giving you guys for all of their courses. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer. Get two months of Skillshare for just uh, 99 cents. So go learn. You have two months to learn as much as you can. That's right. Skillshare is offering Girlboss listeners two months of unlimited access to over 18,000 classes for just uh, 99 cents. That Mm -hmm. is less than a dollar. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Girlboss. Again, S-K-I-L-L-S-H-A-R-E dot com slash Girlboss to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash Girlboss.